Hello, and welcome to Progress Your Beer. My name is Garrett Allen, and I'm a professional brewer and avid brewer at home. This is episode number five, and today's topic is Beer Stability and Packaging Part 2. How yeast benefits your packaged beer, and practical points to making your beer fresher. The first episode I did on beer stability and packaging was more of a look on how commercial breweries approach packaging and avoiding instability or undesirable flavor changes in their finished product versus what a home brewer can do. Uh, This episode will be a little bit more on the science of yeast and how it can be beneficial to your beer's flavor stability. I'll end on some key things for you to think about in the process of your beer making um, that really have true practicality to them. None of this advice where you have to spend a whole lot of money and uh, do these crazy wackadoo processes that would benefit your beer. And a quick ask before I uh, go too far into this episode um, is to just leave a rating and review um, if you find this information. Uh, useful or uh, helpful in any way, I would appreciate it. Um, It helps drive organic growth. And so I'll answer a great question I got from Reddit user Ubarcos um, that will help introduce the topic. Curious how I ferment under pressure, calculate the amount of dissolved CO2, and then add sanitized dissolved priming sugar without oxygen, and then bottle with counter pressure to preserve my beer. (laughs) This is an awesome question, and frankly, has quite a few answers and a lot to unpack. So, assuming you are not already fermenting under pressure, I'll start by saying that these points and tips can also be done without a pressurized vessel or doing closed transfers. Yeast is especially helpful for keeping your beer fresh, uh, even if you're introducing uh, some oxygen. But it definitely does not hurt to do both. Frankly, I advise it. First, if you're needing guidance on fermenting under pressure, I'll suggest a few pieces of equipment depending on your budget. If you have a smaller budget, or if you're just really not ready to spend too much on brewing just yet, um, I would suggest the Fermentosaurus with the pressure kit. The Fermentosaurus is just kind of like, it's a pressurizable PET fermenter, um, very similar to what a Coke bottle is made out of. The upsides to this are that it's cheap, It is light, so you can move it around pretty easily if you need to. And it's really versatile. Um, You can use it as a fermenter. Um, You can cold crash in it. You can serve finished beer out of it. Um, It it really is almost as versatile as a conical and just as versatile as the Spike Flex Plus. Some of the downsides, though, um, it scratches easily. Uh, which is a no-no for fermenters and sanitation. So if you scratch it and you can't quite uh, clean and sanitize some of those imperfections, um, you can be throwing away a batch of beer. 
and then it can also warp or deform if it's exposed to too hot a liquids. It is clear, so it's not good for um, light struck beer if you're not taking precautions. And it's just generally not as durable as a stain as its stainless steel counterpart. But for an introductory uh, fermenter that you can pressurize and, and reduce oxygen, I highly suggest it if you're on the uh, if you're on the smaller budget. And then the bigger budget um, would be something like the Spikeflex Plus, um, which is what I have, and I love it. Or a pressurizable conical from Spike, or SS Brewtech, or one of the many other manufacturers that are um, coming on the scene. I'm typically a buy once, cry once type of person, so that I'm not throwing a bunch of stuff away. And then spunding valves are another thing you'll need. Um, I tried to make my own quite cheaply at home, <laughs> and guess what? It kind of sucks. Uh, there, uh, it, it's just not quite as accurate. It, it's got a screw dial to try and dial in PSI, and it just really doesn't work very well. It's not very accurate, and yeah, the spring in it just is not great. But there are great options out there now for anyone's budget that I'm sure would work great. The cheaper option would be the Blowtie from Kegland. I've heard great things, and it's really not very expensive. It is all plastic, but for its purpose, I don't see why that's too negative of a thing. It might break down a little sooner than um, the more expensive option. But I think it seems like an awesome piece of equipment for its price. And then the more expensive option is going to be the Spundit. Again, uh, all of this are just um, from what I've heard. And from the Spundit, I've heard really good things. And from my investigation, it's, it looks well worth the money. Then on to the next part of the question. Um, is the calculation of dissolved CO2 uh, when you're fermenting under pressure. This is super simple. Uh, it is based on Henry's law of equilibrium of dissolved gases. I won't go into detail on this today, but the main takeaways from dissolved gases is that higher pressure and lower temperature equate to higher solubility of the gas in the liquid. Uh, there are CO2 solubility equilibrium charts for brewers. Um, just Google um, in Google Images, CO2 equilibrium chart beer. And once you've found it, go to your lowest temperature and highest pressure that your beer has been exposed to and assume that the beer has had enough time to get to equilibrium. That chart should tell you the volumes of CO2 currently in your beer. The next part of the question is calculating the amount of sugar to add to get to a desired CO2 volume after already knowing the uh, amount in solution. Now you can do this calculation by hand with the knowledge on moles, weight, and assumptions that all of that chemistry goes to CO2 and ethanol. But an easier way I would do it uh, would be to use a priming sugar calculator 
um, to just add the difference between the current CO2 and the desired volumes of CO2. For example, say your beer was cold crashed at 40 degrees Fahrenheit and has been under 5 psi for a few days. Um, assume it is at equilibrium and look at the carbonation chart. That's 1.8 volumes of CO2 dissolved in your beer. If you want your beer at, uh, say, a typical 2.5 volumes, just subtract 1.8 volumes from 2.5, which is going to equal 0.7 volumes. Use the calculator as if you were uh, wanting to carbonate your beer to 0.7 volumes of CO2, and boom, done. Just use the amount of priming sugar uh, that your calculator spits out for your volume of beer. And if you want to avoid oxygen, make sure you boil the water slash sugar solution for a bit to drive out as much oxygen from solution as possible. 10 minutes should be adequate, um, and this also sanitizes the priming sugar, uh, which is great for avoiding infection. To make this process even easier, I would close up the fermenter to hit a desired pressure for carving your beer. Um, assuming your fermentation pressure will give you a lower carbonation volume amount than you want. And finally, adding the priming sugar to your beer is another part that can have many answers. If you have a keg, I suggest putting your boiled priming sugar into a clean, sanitized, purged packaging keg. Transfer your beer to the keg and let the yeast carbonate inside, uh, typically at room temperature. Once it's fully carbonated, chill the beer to as cold as you can get it. Uh, this is really helpful when bottling, and you should have great carbonated stable beer. But if you're wanting to actually bottle condition in the bottles and you're filling from your pressure fermenter, my suggestion would, to, would be to get a syringe um, that has milliliter markings on it. A more reliable way to do this would be to weigh the liquid per bottle. Um, but anyway, you do it, just evenly divide your priming sugar uh, in solution between all of your bottles and dose each bottle right before um, you purge, pressurize, and fill with your uh, counter pressure filler. And cap on foam. I've actually had pretty good results utilizing a method I just kind of winged. Take a bottle, um, whether that's 12, ounce, 12 fluid ounces, 22 fluid ounces, or a 750. Calculate the amount of priming sugar you need for that volume uh, per bottle. And put your priming sugar in the bottle, in the clean sanitized bottle, and fill that bottle uh, with the priming sugar in it um, directly from your fermenter with one of those um, spring-tipped bottle fillers. Those are really awesome for uh, filling the bottle from the bottom and uh, reducing as much oxygen intake as possible. And fill your bottle um, and then I just, because I do have kegging equipment, um, I just took my CO2 line and purged the headspace right before I capped it. And this was a New England IPA, and 
and I let it carbonate uh, for three weeks so it sat out at room temperatures for close to a month before I chilled and uh, sampled them uh, because I, I also kegged the same beer. And I found that the bottle-conditioned beer had just as much nuance and complexity as the kegged beer, uh, if not more so um, in a couple months' time. So that's a way I highly suggest you to bottle to keep your flavor stability intact. So thank you, you Barcos, for the question. I appreciate the feedback and love to give guidance to helping you make better or more flavor-stable beer. So why go through all of this trouble? Yeast is the answer. Yeast will help your beer stay fresh because there, there are a litany of chemical reactions that are occurring through your brew day and fermentation. I know Brewlosophy did an episode on hot side aeration recently, and they mentioned lipoxygenase enzymes in the mash. Not only do LOX enzymes create staline compounds, which are generally carbonyl compounds, oxygen in the mash, isoalpha acids, and even alcohol can all degrade into carbonyl compounds and contribute to staling flavors. And these carbonyl compounds uh, come from oxidation and just general instability of your beer. What you can readily do, however, to reduce as much oxidative potential going into the fermenter is to not use those giant whisks homebrewers have been attracted to because it breaks up dough balls. Instead, slowly break them apart with a spoon while trying not to splash around too much. I know it's a little more tedious and takes a little more time, but, but it really will and can lead to flavor stability in the end. And then also in your process, fill your kettle from the bottom. Uh, splashing around while filling your kettle is just going to introduce a lot of oxygen and it really is detrimental to your beer. Um, get a good boil going. Um, not too long, 60 to 90 minutes is plenty. And then finally, pitch a large healthy yeast pitch. This last one is the most important. Um, it's really hard, if not impossible, to eliminate all of the staling compounds in beer unless you were to mill, mash, boil, ferment, and package in a completely oxygen-free environment, which I, maybe there are some people who are doing this, but this is just entirely impractical and probably a waste of resources. However, yeast and yeast byproducts can be beneficial in removing carbonyls or staling compounds. Yeast itself can actually uptake carbonyls and turn them into alcohols. But this is predicated on your yeast being uh, quite healthy and viable um, when, you, when it's introduced to your final packaged beer. So it might even be a good idea for you to repitch some yeast or Krausen uh, right before you package your beer. Yeast also produce sulfur dioxide, um, especially lager yeasts. So lagers will tend to have a better shelf life, which uh, I would say is pretty convenient. Uh, sulfur dioxide will bind with carbonyls 
and make them less flavor active and reduce the perception of staling. This is why uh, metabisulfates are so interesting when it comes to bottle conditioning. I personally do not really want to be adding too many things to my beer, but this is certainly a route you can go if you're having trouble with oxidation and flavor instability. Just keep it, just keep your sulfur below 20 parts per million for your homebrew. If it's commercial, um, above 10 parts per million, your label must have the words contains sulfite legible, uh, just like wine, which I think is fairly off-putting since uh, pretty much no other beers around have that. So with all of this information, you should be on your way to making more beer that lasts longer and is that much more enjoyable in the long run. So I did really want this series or, or this topic to have um, a fairly long series, <laughs> but uh, just because there is so much information when it comes to oxygen in the mash, enzymes in the mash, uh, what boil does, what the boil does for beer stability and boil lengths, oxidative and reductive reactions, superoxide, um, the hydroxyl uh, radicals, all of those. Um, but I, I really want this podcast to appeal to a wide variety of of, of brewers and to be more helpful. So I do want to touch on these subjects and talk about them. Um, I just don't want to bore the people who are coming in who may not be at that level or any of those things. Um, so truly let me know if this, if, if those topics are of interest to you. Um, i again, would love to talk about those. Um, and let me know if you have any questions and if you would like some more detailed information on what is happening at each stage in the brew process. Um, feel free to ask any of those questions and give me that feedback to uh, progressyourbeer, all one word, at gmail.com. Again, reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated on your platform of choice it helps me reach and help as many people as I can and, and just grow organically. Um, thank you for listening and see you next week where I will be talking about cold mashing and how it can be a great way to make tasty low ABV beer in this sea of non-alcoholic beer talk.